Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Headline edition, July 8, 1947. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc has been found and is now in the possession of the Army. If the game is rigged, change the game. Game changer. I occasionally think how quickly our differences worldwide would vanish if we were facing an alien threat from outside this world. This is Fade to Black with your host, Jimmy Church, on the Game Changer Radio Network. All right. Good evening, everybody. How you doing? Today is Monday, January 16th, 2023. This is Fade to Black. I'm yours, Jimmy Church. And tonight, our guest is Don Webb. And we're going to be discussing uh, his new book. It's How to Become a Modern Magus, uh, a manual for magicians of all schools. And we're going to do this tonight. We're going to go in, in pretty in-depth uh, into uh, becoming a magician. If this is if this is part of, and it it's not going to be what you expect. And uh, so sit tight. We're going to get straight to it. And Don, uh, very interestingly, uh, was the high priest of the Temple of Set from 1996 to 2002. Um, he has written and lectured on left-hand path topics and the occult practices of late antiquity since 1995. Now, in this book, he offers up a 12-month course, one year, on the activities, the rituals, the spells, and the exercises to help you acquire magical skills and the knowledge and maximize your strengths over the course of a year. So we're going to be doing all of that tonight, and I would welcome for the first time to Fade to Black, Don Webb. Uh, Don, welcome. How are you, man? I'm good. I'm glad to be here. I really like Fade to Black. Thank you. Well, we like you. Can, can I can I do a plug on your earlier book real quick? Oh, sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm not uh, uh, um, I've had this for a while, and uh, uh, the energy magic of the vampire. 
So I'm going to extend the invitation right now. We've got to get you back and, and discuss this. Crazy stuff happened over the last year, uh, and, and we didn't get a chance uh, to do that. But a uh, huge fan, huge fan. So we'll do that later. Uh, the new book, uh, Modern, Modern Magus, is it Magus or Magus? I say Magus. Yeah, I, I say Magus too. So I just <laughs> want to make sure that, that, that I'm correct there. Um, it's a great book, and I want to start off uh, with, oh, we just lost our internet. Okay, uh, let me see if I'm back live. Wow, that's strange. Everything just went blank. Okay, let me pull this back up, and let's see. That that was uh, That was very strange. Okay, Don, are you still there? I'm still here. Okay, um, I've, I've we lost the internet here. See, oh, oh by the way, um, we're in the middle of this cyclone storm. Uh, yeah, what just happened to the stream? Okay, hold on. Uh, are we back? I, this has never happened. This is <laughs> so. I'm not in panic mode. I don't panic, um, and uh, so I'll. Uh, <laughs> I'll see what the uh, uh, my uh, moderators uh, say to me in just a second. Um, but nonetheless, we're still recording on the other end. So uh, uh, let's see. Yeah, we're we're, we're good. We're good. Right. Um, um, I wanted to say uh, this. We are in the middle of it's been raining for a month straight. I think the rest of the country kind of knows what we've been going through. And it, it it it's still raining. It hasn't. It has not stopped. I've been in California for forty years. I've never experienced this. Um, but I want to. I, I wanted to start off with this. Um, in the book, um, as as I'm I'm starting it out, and you say I'm paraphrasing here, Don. But you say something like this. It's like the words I've been waiting for. You're like, okay. First, you need the tools. Right? You're like, get yourself a cauldron, get your get. And I was like, wait a minute, this is this is the real thing here, and and that kind of introduction going into the book, I knew that this was something that I was looking for. Was that your intention from the beginning? Oh, absolutely. There's very few books that practically say, "Here's how you do magic." There's books that assume you kind of know stuff or they tell you a little bit about a certain practice. And my idea is I want to empower people to do their own rituals, have their tools, go out and take on the world. I um, I was very excited about that. And it forced me into cheating somewhat um, in that now I couldn't help but like, and you're not supposed to do this. It's a course, right? But I've got the whole course in my hand, and I'm and I'm flipping ahead and reading through it. And sure enough, I just wanted to make sure that I wasn't deceiving myself with the excitement that yes, the guide is indeed here. It is a 12 month practical guide to get yourself going. Mm-hmm. And, and it's made to to fit a magician that's working, you know, in the 21st century. You know, because some of the things that call for like a strobe light aren't exactly traditional magician's tools. Um, can okay, so with that uh, as a foundation for the start, um, let's back up. When people hear uh, these types of terms, magic, they if you know we we go into uh, you know some dark things, and then you know that no, there's light and there's dark, and it's not what you think. But that's what the public uh, thinks out of the gate, isn't it? 
Yeah. And 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 how do we how do we work around that? Well, some people, uh, either because of their upbringing or because of some unknown grace in the world, may discover they have a slightly different relationship to reality than the average person. They discover that occasionally they can affect the minds of others, or they can affect the outcome of an event. It's easy to see people like that. You have your friend that's really lucky. You have that person that when they get in trouble with someone, they somehow can calm everyone down. The powers exist. They've existed in human folklore for you know 10,000 years. This begins to say, let's see if we can hone those powers without making ridiculous claims about them. And now, when... <laughs> When speaking to somebody about these subjects, do you have to intentionally start with, okay, you need to know what your intentions are, and uh, this isn't uh, a dark tool or a a tool to be used for bad things. Uh, Do do you have to lay the groundwork? Uh, The big groundwork that I try to lay with people is that magic, if it works, destabilizes your life. If you make a wish... That's going to change things. And so there's two things going on. Number one, your life has to be enchantable. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Everyone wants to do like a money working. I want to do it working for money because we love money in our society. Right. And then, you know, I've had had students do this for, for decades. And they said, I did this money working. And now I've got more overtime than I've ever had in my job. It's killing me. I mean, a lot of money. And I said, well, is there any other way money can come to you? You know, short of like, you know, death of that a wealthy family member or something you really don't want. And they said, well, no. And so I said, did you think if you did this working, like money was just going to like fall from the ceiling? You know, it will come to you in a natural way. And if your life is not financially enchantable, don't do money work. If you do work for love, you know, I guess the first two things people try to practically get paid and get paid. And you're not set up in any way to get love. What are you going to do? You know, did you take care of your appearance? Are you going out to meet people? Or are you just expecting someone to come knock on your door at 3 a.m. and say, I'm here? And, and I will tell you, from experience, if that happens, it will not turn out well. Has this, this seems very, very fundamental in that, is this the same discussion that was going on 5,000 years ago in Egypt? This discussion shows up again and again. Yes. Because uh, magic affects the natural order. It does not overcome the natural order. And therefore, if you're putting stresses and changes in the way things unfold, either mental things within you or mental things in other people or in events, it's not going to change anything completely fundamental. Um, if I do a working to make myself fly, and I do, do all the, the appropriate things, I could either have like a psychedelic experience, think I'm flying, or, or maybe I win an airline ticket, but I'm not actually going to go like Superman. The, uh, are there, if I, I want to back up for a second again, if I, uh, and discuss Egypt. I just got back from Egypt. Okay, I mean, when I when I say just got, I just got back. I was there for a couple of weeks, and it's it's a very special place and a place that I've researched for a very long time. 
these fundamentals that are discussed today, not only you know throughout uh, occult societies and, and, and magicians and magic and, and, and things, but it's, it's also some of the basic principles in your book. The, the Egyptians seemed to have a grip on things. They did. It seemed like they understood it when the rest of the world was digging for seeds in the dirt. And they were fully upright and understood uh, these, these principles, both uh, with hereticism and other powers of the mind. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, absolutely. The, the Egyptian civilization, uh, the, the two civilizations that did the best uh, long-term magical development were the Chinese civilization and the Egyptians. Uh, they both recognized the value of magic early and saw it as a positive thing. You know, in the Judeo-Christian world, we are taught that magic is a bad thing, right? It comes from the other side. Don't, don't mess with it. Uh, Egyptian scriptures say really early on, you know, thank you, Lord Graf, for giving us magic so that we can buffer ourselves against bad events. It was seen as you know, a gift of the gods, and you have to learn it, you have to use it, and a wholly positive thing in the sense if you use it correctly. But since it is a force can be used positively or negatively the um uh again you know and in setting boundaries and i'm and i keep going back to uh ancient egypt because of the traditions that came out of egypt and 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 spread through the mediterranean through europe and then of course over here uh to the united states but everything you know kind of got its foundations um in egypt itself um, why did the uh, the public uh, suddenly have to concern themselves with dangers? It, was that a fear of the unknown? It, you know what I mean? That they didn't understand what was going on, so it must have been dangerous? Oh, no. It was actually a fear of the known. Egypt is a very precarious country. I mean, you look at a map of Egypt, and you're like, oh, this is a pretty good-sized country. No, it's a tiny country. It's two miles on each side of the Nile. And it, those two miles in classical times had a flood every year. Not occasionally, there would be, there would be an, a yearly flood. It brought in the mud. The mud was full of all this wonderful decayed vegetable matter from the center of Egypt, from the center of Africa. Great crops. Every year, if the flood is too big, you can't move back soon enough to start your crops. If it's too small, your fields are unfertilized. Every year, you are pitting yourself against the elements. And these are known dangers. You also had to take a very dense society, two miles either side of the Nile, sure, and make sure that they could live together. Uh, so you have to have art, religion, magic, all of which in Egypt, Egyptian would be one word, would be heka, um, has to be tied together to maintain society, maintain social balance, and deal with the fact that we actually have a society built on a yearly catastrophe. That, that chaos uh, uh, was the basis of Egyptian society, wasn't it? Right, yeah. They had to actually say, okay, the, the world is going to flood us every year. We all have to find some place to live during that. We have to store our food. Uh, when we get back, we have to figure out where our, where our fields were, so we better develop trigonometry so we can draw the triangles. 
that was the basis of everything. And, and um, you, I, I, going back to Egypt, right? When we look at um, some of the chapters, and then certainly the closing of the book, too, as well, um, uh, it's, it's an introduction into Egypt, isn't it? And, then, and, and you close with it as well. I spend a lot on Egyptian soul craft because Egyptians model uh, the mind, body, spirit is a very good model for magicians, mainly because it was used for that for about 3,000 years, and they hit a really good level of thinking in about the 18th, 19th, 20th dynasties, but what are the different parts of ourselves and how do they work? And uh, that, that's such a great point because those 2,000 years that you're referencing there was a relatively, it's 2,000 years, right? It's a really long time of stability, of enlightenment, very little war, right? It was, uh, it was about uh, learning about culture, your neighbors, your mind, and advancing the spirit, wasn't it, for 2,000 years? Largely, there, there was, in fact, you know, it was pretty peaceful development. Um, about the middle of Egyptian history, they developed great armies. They went out and took over most of the Middle East. And then at the end of the, uh, you know, the end of Egyptian uh, power, we had Persians and Greeks and Romans came in and took them over. But it was largely a period of pretty much self-sustaining government. Uh, so they developed their own um, systems. They, they were, you know, much, much sooner than the Greeks were they thinking about philosophy. Uh, but the, the age of Egypt itself is so staggering. Um, here. I'll give you an example. You know, you probably noticed the Great Pyramids, right? You, when I, you were there, you were uh, I, I, I was actually in it alone. Oh, there's some interesting things about that space. We should probably talk about that. Now, I don't go for the theory that those are you know, vastly, you know, ridiculously old and built by you know, aliens. But just using regular theory, we know they were being built. The Great Pyramid was being built when you could still go see hairy mastodons in Europe. That's correct. Yeah. That's old. That's really old. <clears throat> yeah. That's really old. Um, when, uh, I, I don't know if you've been to Egypt. Have you been to Egypt? I have not been to Egypt. Okay. Um, one of the things that is striking, that it, it just overpowers you, is, yes, you can go in front of the Great Pyramid and understand if you stay with Orthodox academia, you know, it was built at 2750 B.C., right? Okay, that's really old. But when you go out into Saqqara and you go see the Bent Pyramid or the Step Pyramid or the Red Pyramid or the other pyramids that have crumbled, um, you go out, all of that, and they're just as big and just as majestic as the Great Pyramid. The Bent Pyramid is like five feet shorter, right? It's right. the same. It's ginormous. And all of this was done in like a hundred year period. And it's, it's a mind boggling thing to wrap your head around. And then you have Dendera and Abydos and, and, you know, Karnak and Luxor and all of these temples that hundreds of sites across Egypt, that all of this was going on. It's, it's an incredible thing to see what a feat of, of technology, but it happened Stone Age man, and then a couple of weeks later, they're building Giza. It, it, yeah. It's crazy. It was amazingly rapid uh, uptake on civilization, on math, on technology. Uh, 
you know, in some ways, Egypt is like a watch, right? And it's wound up really tight. And when it started, boom. And then it just kind of slowly ran down, you know, until finally when the Greeks came, they were like, hey, you know, take this over. We're done. And and, uh, and you brought up philosophy. We're going to get back to the book in a second. Uh, when the Greeks showed up, the Greeks hadn't developed philosophy yet. As a no. matter of fact, if we if we back things up, when Egypt was on a roll, it was another. It wouldn't be for twenty four hundred years until Greece was even around, right? <laughs> so when they showed up, that's where they learned their philosophy from, and and a lot of uh, organization and culture and government uh, that that we give the Greeks credit for, and and we should, but they got most of that from Egypt, didn't they? They got a lot of their, their stuff from Egypt. And then the Greeks' brilliance is they didn't just copy. They said, okay, we're going to Xerox this and take it home. They said, all right, they have these ideas about the soul, and those people over in Persia have those ideas. we got to figure this stuff out. And so the Greeks' real brilliance was developing a system that you don't have to learn the gods, you don't have to learn their language. It's like here's the system of reason you can teach everybody. You know, because Greeks were like, hmm, those guys are smart, those guys are smart. Yeah, those, those black sea guys with their shamanism, we're going to come up with something here. And uh, when it comes to uh, ritual and uh, the mystery schools and magic and hermeticism, of course, um, uh, being taught and accumulated in Alexandria and then spread out through around the world, was that the the... the the origins of everything? Well, that was your, your most tremendous point of collecting and dispersing material. When, uh, when Aristotle was teaching Alexander the Great, uh, he said Egypt would be the place to collect all the world's wisdom. He says because of the climate, things can endure there. So... Alexander, being a good student and, you know, finishing his studies at age 13 and going off and conquering the world, like you do, uh, started the idea that Alexandria would be the place that all wisdom went to. And then the Greeks that ruled Egypt afterward, the Ptolemies, uh, particularly Ptolemy, Ptolemy Soter, the one that built the library, says, we're going to literally collect all the wisdom in the world. Um, and so, like, when a ship would come into port, they would search it, they would take the books off, they would copy them, send them back, say thank you. Uh, and it was a collection of knowledge from India. There was stuff they had from China. There's stuff deeper in Africa, as well as Egyptian stuff, Greek stuff, Persian stuff. You know, it was the first time that mankind said, we need to collect what we know. We probably know a lot. You, you had mentioned, and uh, I want to circle back to this, uh, that the foundation uh, coming out of Egypt was mind, body, and soul. And then you brought up the Great Pyramid. Can we go back to that and expand on mind, body, and soul? As we live, as human beings, we, we begin to understand there's more to ourselves than just our daytime life we begin to have a sense that, hey, our ancestors aren't, aren't totally gone. I, I get a sense of, of dad or granddad or something in certain places. Human beings become aware of, of multiple realities, and the multiple realities have different rules. 
uh, they respond in different ways. And the purpose of life is to become aware of as many places you're existing and get all of your parts working together and talking to each other. So they had an extensive soul craft. They, they recognized different parts of the body, different parts of the soul, different parts of the mind. How, how is it, how is it even possible to have that kind of advanced, I'm going to use the word philosophy just as a blanket, okay? But uh, that kind of advanced philosophy about the self when the rest of the world was so many thousands of years behind them, unless somebody wasn't teaching the Egyptians. I don't want to get too conspiratorial, but it seems like a pretty great leap. Well, I've never, I've never gone in for the for the extraterrestrial environment uh, source, but one of the interesting things the Egyptians had is early on, you mentioned it before, they avoided war and they could keep people's bellies full. And you suddenly had people living to the amazingly old age for Earth at that time. Egyptians sometimes lived to like 45. And some of the pharaohs lived a really long time. Uh, Ramesses II lived 96 years. That's right. Um, they must have really thought he was a god at that point. Right? Can you imagine, like, well, yes, my, my grandfather said he was an old man, you know. Um, but partially it's also an attitude. It's like, ah, what I need to discover is in here. Humankind's first study should be humankind. Did you did you feel that you went through your own personal journey that was similar, your own hero's journey that uh, paralleled some of these uh, practices uh, when it comes to magic? Oh, certainly. You know, one of the uh, no one starts out uh, usually to be a magician. It's, you know, when you took those uh, career surveys in high school, it wasn't even a thing you could mark off, right? Um, magic usually happens because something in yourself, very deep in yourself, causes you to have a moment of awakening, of things becoming clear to you. Um, sometimes several moments, if you're particularly dumb. And you then have to go and say, why did that happen? What does, what, why are certain things interesting to me that weren't interesting before? And then there are various processes you go through. Uh, there's times that it's ecstatic and beautiful and lovely. And, you know, as, as Gurdjieff says, it's roses, roses, roses until it's thorns, thorns, thorns. That's right. And you have moments in that uh, are dry or sad or depressing. Um, and at the right time, um, a teacher will appear to you when you are ready. Uh, that can happen. It happened in my life. What happened? I found a teacher at the right moment. I had, for some years, uh, attempted practice in the occult. And I'd gone on for a while, and I was looking around at other occultists, and I was like, man. How old were you? Uh, let me see. I probably started my practice, my kind of serious practice, uh, about 23 23 yeah. years old. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. And I went around for a while, and then I started noticing, I looked around at the occult community, and man, most of these guys are 
you know, they're a couple of tacos short of a combination plate, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I'm like, why am I doing this if that's how it winds up? You know, yeah, I can tell, I can, you know, affect some things, I can get better dreams and so forth, but I'm not seeing anybody coming out on the other side that's sane. So, I gave it up. Completely gave it up uh, when I was 28. No more. I'm not going to do this stuff anymore. Uh, I am a writer of science fiction and horror, in addition to my other um, things that I do. And I received, uh, way back in 1988, a request to write a short story based on the Salem Witch Trials. that was going to come out at the 300th anniversary. And I was like, oh, cool. Went off, and I uh, began reading about the Salem Witch Trials. And I spent one day uh, doing an analysis of that so I could write my story. Like, what are the steps? How did this How did this hysteria come into being? And I made a nice little chart for myself, and I laid down. And to reward myself, I did what all Americans do. I turned on the TV, and there was Geraldo Rivera, Satanism in America. Big, swirling, red and black baphomet and musical stuff. And they had all these people talking, all these occult experts who were saying things. I picked up my chart. And I started marking off all the things from the Salem witch trials. I'm like, wow, we are we are same place we were 300 years ago. And there was this one guy there, the kind of an odd looking guy, had weird eyebrows, named Michael Aquino. Oh. Uh, and the, uh, the the experts were all, you know, kind of haunting him in various ways. And at one point, this one man, man named, guy was named Tom Wedge, a huge, huge guy. I have the address of every Satanist in America, and I know all their crimes. That's a good Aquino, by the way. That's a pretty good Aquino. And then uh, Michael, you know, looked at him and, and just said, "Well, why don't you arrest them?" And and, and that was such a, a deflating remark. This guy had nothing to say, and I saw Geraldo make a gesture. I heard them cut off Michael's mic. Well, the next day, you know, I was talking to my friends. I said, that's got to be supernatural powers. He made Geraldo Rivera shut up. I would give anything to send this guy a fan letter. And one of my friends, very distinguished businesswoman in Austin, gave me kind of this stink eye. And I thought, oh, great. Probably said the wrong thing because of her. And as we're leaving the house, she walked over. Hey, you really want to see Dr. Queen a fan letter? And I thought, where did Dr. Aquino come from? Because they'd been using his military title. Right. And I said, yeah. Well, I'm seeing him next week at the International Conclave of the Temple of Set. I could take the letter to you. I was dumbstruck. Here was somebody who had a real... With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. 
Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. A job that could talk about things that weren't in the occult, that was in good health and mentally stable, and made pretty good money. And I thought, wow, this is like what I want to be. So I sent them off a letter. He wrote back. And eventually I joined the, the local group. And the local group here uh, was run by Dr. Stephen Flowers, who uh, also is known as a great rune magician. Has written, God, I don't know, 60 books at mm-hmm. this point. And I was at the place where I had gone as far as I could go. And literally, not seeking it, the teacher appeared to me. So then I had to, well, that's pretty classic. There is, there's my initiator. Uh, and so I applied him, applied myself and, um, within seven years, I was the high priest. So, uh, can we back, uh, were you uh, taking guidance from Aquino or from flowers? Flowers, flowers was my personal initiator. Right. I mean, obviously, uh, myself and Dr. Aquino became very good friends. I, uh, I even wrote the introduction to his autobiography. Um, not to talk about Aquino, but he was a pretty—he was a pretty big—he was a pretty big personality. I don't know how else to put it, um, uh, but a pretty strong personality. Was he mi- misinterpreted? Oh, sure. Mainly, he was misinterpreted because a uh, lawsuit was brought against him and his wife, alleging them of child abuse. Right, and this got. You know, tremendous, you know. It was, uh, that was a big happen. case. That was a big, big deal. And, you know, the the truth, which is much uh, always much less interesting than the start was, he was literally not even in the city of San Francisco when he was uh, supposedly doing these things. He was actually in government training in Washington. He's like, you know, look, I sign a book there every day. And the lawsuit, of course, failed. But because it was made for millions of dollars, it drew a lot of attention. Right. And it took this guy that did not like the public eye and have him go out and starting on talk shows and, you know, saying, here's what I'm really about. Now, I think he gets a lot of uh, attention because he was a Green Beret and especially with psychological warfare. And, and he, had a, he had a unique look. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The, the eyebrow thing. <laughs> He had a unique look that didn't help things when the public, because, excuse me, the whole satanic panic thing uh, overwhelmed the country. And it goes, uh, it's a point that needs to be brought up here because it was, uh, it was widespread. It was widespread. It, It was probably as big of a deal as like when the exorcist, you know, came out in theaters in 72. Oh no! It, it was it was it was a big deal, and it uh, there was a, for a while a group of people who were occult experts selling their services to cops and the FBI and so forth for large amounts of money. Then the FBI uh, made a huge study, the Lansing study, who said we studied a thousand cases and we can't find any examples. But things like that pass, right? There's always hysteria. You know, like Pizzagate, right? Oh, yeah, they're abusing babies in the basement of that pizzeria. There's not even a basement. Yeah, there's not even a basement. But, but yeah, backwards masking of songs and uh, uh, hidden messages and things. Yeah, you're right. These things come and go. 
you know, they're, they're, they're exciting. I mean, our conspiracy theories uh, do really well because they're exciting and because a lot of them can't be disproven. And can't be proven, but can't be disproven. And uh, <laughs> I, I, I was uh, just, I can't believe we're talking about this, but yesterday, or it might have been this morning, uh, I was listening to a snippet of an interview with uh, Jimmy Page, you know, the guitar player for Led Zeppelin. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, the hysteria started, the craziness started when supposedly John is dead is played backwards on a Beatles album, right? And Or Paul is dead. I'm sorry, Paul is dead. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he said, the next thing you know, Led Zeppelin uh, comes out, and and if you play Stairway to Heaven backwards, you know, it said this thing, and he goes, I got to tell you, it's hard enough to write songs frontwards, <laughs> right? <laughs> and he goes, man, we never, you know, and it was just a really, really good point. But the panic, right? And everybody, I had friends that were, were t- dragged into court uh, over this stuff and uh, with trials that lasted for months and months and months. So yeah, yeah, uh, things come and go. Um, back to uh, flowers and and Aquino, or no flowers, Temple of Set. So you become? Uh, did you? You don't look Temple of Setish, right? You you know? Did did you did you have? Did you adorn? No, you were just. No, you. I mean, it, 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 there there are some people that find that aesthetic very useful. Uh, I've never found it that useful. Uh, and in a group that emphasizes individuality, it's going to be what you want to look like. So you didn't have a you didn't have a you didn't have a uniform. No uniform, no black fingernail. That right. was one of the things, right? Um, there, there's no tattoo on any part of my body of an arcane uh, significance. Uh, and and so we you know we don't fit the 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 profile the public profile well. Uh, it's it's such an interesting point uh, to make. Now, okay, so back to mind, body, and soul system. And you brought up uh, the pyramids uh, and and the Great Pyramid. Let's circle back. Sorry for the segue, but so interesting. Um, uh, life's journey, uh, the hero's journey, is just so interesting to me. Let's get back to the point you wanted to make on the Great Pyramid. Well, uh, the, the Great Pyramid itself is, is a fascinating um, device because you know, this is a device for mortality. Uh, and there were two competing religions in Egypt at the time. There was a solar religion. The idea is you can just go up to the sun. Pyramid is the best shape. But there was also a stellar religion. And not many people know this, but there's an air shaft that runs through the Great Pyramid that's focused on on uh, the constellation we call um, the Big Dipper because the alternate religion said, well, that's where your souls go. So the guy, you know, made sure both of his uh, possible locations were, were taken care of. Good, good to be king, right? You can spend money for you know, things like this. Um, in uh, 1904, there was a moment when... Uh, Alistair Crowley uh, has, was taking his new wife, Rose, and they were visiting Egypt. And uh, Rose had zero interest in magic, just none. But she said one night, hey, can you show me some magic? I'm, I really want to, to see this thing you do. And so he left out of Cairo. And in those days, the pyramid wasn't even guarded at night. They went inside, and he did an invocation. 
star, and she could kind of vaguely see some, some glowing shapes. But then suddenly she falls into a trance and says, they are waiting for you. You know, Alistair's like, what the hell, right? You know, you calling me? I'm calling you. They're waiting for me. And she says, yeah. And they went to a museum and she pointed out various figures. That's the god. You know, that one there on that Stella. You need to find out what's written there. A few days later, Crowley did the work that got what's called the Book of the Law. Uh, the modern occult revival really came out of uh, Egypt in 1904. Um, and again, it was a trained magician at the right time in his life. It's not just the training. It's also being at the right time and, and maybe the right space as well. There's something I, I, I can't. I'm still unpacking it, uh, to be honest with you. And I've done so much research um, uh, on the Great Pyramid, Egypt in general. I've, I've spent my life on it. Um, but there, I, what I got from the Great Pyramid isn't what I expected. And you hear so much about, um, uh, you know, different experiences and spiritual things and people going in and, and you know, the king's chamber and, and this. Um, it seemed mechanical to me. I, I don't have a, another way to explain it um, other than... When you go to uh, these other pyramids or these other sites, and, and and certainly temple sites, very spiritual, very deep, very heavy, um, very fun. You you are moved, and it's 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 a great experience to go through. the The Great Pyramid to me was kind of lifeless. Yeah, it, yeah, it, it's, mm-hmm. yeah. It's a sensory deprivation chamber. Yeah, it was very mechanical. So when I walked into the grand gallery expecting something, I you know I don't know what I was expecting, Don. You know, but uh, you know if I was going to see if I was going to be Rose right <laughs> with with Alistair, um, I, I I don't know. I was kind of hoping for something, but I was drawn into its starkness. It's 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 not adorned. It's not beautiful. It's it's very mechanical. Very mechanical. Yeah, it looks very different than the rest of, of everything going on in Egypt. I mean, in the temples, you had this place that thousands of people went for worship. You know, and there should be there's a concentrated feeling there. You know, of worship, whereas the Great Pyramid was um, was a launching device. You know, it'd be like visiting um, something on Cape Canaveral. Could be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know. Could be, could be. Um, and uh, going back to uh, the Temple of Set and, and your journey and, and the basis for this book, you have to develop, I'm assuming, ethics, right? Do you, do you set up your own boundaries, and did you do that naturally, or did you have somebody talk to you about this? Well, I, if the, the one of the most shocking things about magic is if you have not considered ethics before, you will, because you can affect other people. And let, let's take a very common uh, magical exercise. There is any number of spells in every magical tradition in the world to make people fall in love with you. Yep. Love spells are common. Number so, one. What, what, what's bigger, love or money? About the same. Get laid, get paid. Yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> but then you really have to consider are you fucking with someone else's will? Right. Did you make someone fall in love with you and, and was there a bad consequence? 
uh, or you, you get someone uh, to fall in love with you and you realize, whoa, I didn't, I, I wasn't looking for that. I was actually looking for sex. And now I have this person that, that you know, that, that adores me. And what, what, what do I do? Uh, if you believe through your practice, you can, can bring about health to people. You have to think, well, where, where do I draw the line about how much energy I'm using to, to help this person? Magic forces you to begin to think about ethics. And then in the course of the book, for each month exercise, there are sometimes in a kind of oblique, hidden way, but there are questions that are ethical. Like, how would you do this? How did you feel about that? One of the first uh, exercises I give people is I give them a sweetening exercise. Now, sweetening magic is really simple. It exists in American hoodoo. Uh, anybody can do this. You take a pot of sugar, you write on a piece of paper the name of somebody that you want to, that you want them to feel better about you. I don't mean love. I mean just, just generally better. You want your boss to feel better about you. or a car You put it in the bottom of the sugar bowl. And then from time to time... Just think about that person and rest your hand on the sugar bowl. Really simple magic. And it will sweeten people. They will you know, begin to respond. Now, that may be just psychological, right? Maybe you act better around them. I'm not concerned about the mechanism. But then that's a good place to begin to think about ethics. Was that ethically right for me to do? Mm. No. And that's a small, it's a very small thing. And you most people say, well, yeah, that's right, because it makes my job smoother. It makes people happier. Or you may come to the conclusion, no, that's not, that's a boundary for me. Uh, I don't prescribe ethics for anyone, but I prescribe the search for ethics to everybody. How do you unsweeten the pot? <laughs> you, you want someone to, like to, dis, you want someone to dislike yeah, no, you? Yeah, I mean, no, you, you did the sweetening and you went, okay, you know, that was just too good. How do I? Can you tone it back down? Is it a bowl of salt with somebody's name on? Salt would work. Uh, I would. I would take the the paper out, soak it in vinegar till the name disappears. Wow, this uh, is great. But it's it's a symbolic action. I mean, it's not the sugar or the salt. Or the symbolism is what makes this happen. Right. Right. Well, because we we think symbolically. That's kind of the the big thing humans have going on. So you kind of avoided the question, though. That's a great answer. And you answered it, but there was something else I was trying to get to. Were you developing these ethics on your own going into this? Uh, well, certainly my teachers told me early on that, that ethics are necessary. And, you know, it began with just the basic ethics of you're not going to use any mind control devices on you know, mind control spells on people in this group. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. 
Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Sure, that, I got that one. Uh, you know, you should think about whether you're cursing someone. Right, because it's a really beautiful idea. I'm mad at someone and I'm gonna stick the pin in the doll, whatever. Well, most magicians will have the uh, phenomena that most of your magic doesn't do anything. You can do that, you know, 10 times, nothing happens. And then one time you do it and suddenly there's a result. And then it's all entirely different ballgame. If you discover I can cause harm to someone, then that will deeply awaken you either to become ethical or you're on your way to being a jerk. Now, the main thing that is, I think the big difference is magic immortalizes the soul. You're becoming aware of your immortal self. Do you want to be a jerk for the rest of time? And there's consequences for everything, right? So uh, you may get away with being a jerk once, but somewhere down the road, the universe will balance things out. Well. Uh, either, you know, if you're in a system believes in karma, you think the universe will do it, but just, you know, even in a non-karmic system, um, if you're a jerk, you're going to get your comeuppance. You know, if all you do is take from people, eventually you're going to be eliminated. Uh, if you give and teach and nourish and protect people, you'll be given to and taught and nourished. Now, let's let's say we get all of this out of the way, these foundations. And I love the sugar bowl thing. Um, uh, I wrote it down, uh, by the way. <laughs> um, I, I love that. It, it, so once you uh, get these basics answered for yourself, you know, you set up some guidelines, um, you know, ethics, boundaries, and you understand uh, what this what this journey will be in in the future? Um, how do you how do you get into this? Is for everybody that's going to be reading the book. How do you prepare yourself for chapter one? We'll discuss some of the chapters after the break. But how do you prepare yourself best for chapter one? Well, the first thing I tell people to do uh, is you know, re- read the entire book. You know, you don't have to to just read one chapter at a time as you're going ahead. Read it to the very end, see how it's structured. So as a month is coming along, you've got the material you wanted, you've thought about what you want to do, what it's going to be like. Uh, The best preparation if you do not have a magical background, and and I'm assuming, by the way, that most people reading the book will have tried something, or they wouldn't have gone and bought the book. Sure. Um, Is to prepare yourself to have two things very strong in life, a sense of wonder, a sense of, wow, that was amazing, and a sense of being skeptical. Well, really, what happened there? Because those are your two best tools to walk into the magical world with. Uh, yeah, okay. Now, what if, if somebody picks up this book and is like, this is bullshit. This isn't going to work for them, is it? Um, well, probably they wouldn't try it. If, you know, if they no, but, you, but, you, but you know what I'm saying, right? No. You, you have to have a certain amount of, I won't say belief, because I don't want you to believe in something that you don't have yet, but the fact of I'm going to give this a try, I consider this is something that may happen. I consider this is something that may have already happened in my life. Uh, there is... Um... 
I've often wondered if um, the the applications of certain things, and it doesn't matter, it could be tarot cards, it could be a spirit board or, or this or whatever, a bowl of sugar, that, um, and like you said, it's the intention, it, it's, it's how you apply it, it's not necessarily the vehicle or something physical to get there, correct? Correct. I did... But- the physical things do help your brain achieve certain trance states. Is and it, the brain is more efficient there. That's right. That's right. That's right. I did, um, I'm not going to get into specifics, uh, Don, but I did something about 25 years ago with somebody. And, um, and I did, and it involved a name, right? And I, and I did all of that. And somebody that I had never met, it was like six months later, this person was my friend. And I was like, wait, 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 whoa, 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 whoa. And at the time, uh, it seemed more evolutionary, mm-hmm. right? It didn't seem like it was intent. But at, when, when I did it, it was, it was not a question of the, this was a possibility, Right? Do you follow what I'm saying? But then it, it's just slowly, and then six months later, and I remember I didn't tell anybody, right? I didn't tell. My friend didn't know. This was my own little thing. And I remember sitting down going, holy crap, stuff works. But I was wondering if it was my intention of entanglement and quantum physics, right? And reaching out to the universe and consciousness connecting and and it had nothing to do with what we had done six months before. Which one do you think is the correct idea? Uh, I, I don't think you can probably separate those. Um, because the, the mechanism, which, you know, could, could easily be, you know, quantum weirdness. Uh, your intent was purified. It was something that was really strong for a brief period of time. And it doesn't matter whether you really believe there would be results or not. Like, I think you usually get better magic if you don't care that much about the result. Um, and then once it, once it is done, I mean, that's sending a message. Uh, a lot of magic, in fact, there's one mad school of magic called the semiotic theory of magic. It's very popular right now. Uh, thinks that magic is about sending messages. You send a message to the other hidden side of the universe, and then the universe responds. Now, it may respond with what exactly you want. Hey, I want money. Okay, here's some money. Or you might say, hey, I want money. Eh, go get a job. Um, the message may not be the message you want because that's what real communication is. But the semiotic theory says we're, we're talking with the universe all the time. And the universe is quite happy to answer. We just have to learn a little bit more about the rules of what makes it better for them to answer. And you have to pay attention. You pay, oh, you, have, you absolutely have to pay attention. You have to pay attention. So many out there, if you, if you were going to put a number on this before we get to the break, uh, we've got 8 billion people in the world, right? So if you were going to put a number on it, how? what percentage of the world does not have wonderment, right? Doesn't consider, they just think it's a 2D reality, you die and it's over and and they you know they're just fixated with 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 jobs and and cars and houses and 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 the, the other side that understands or believes 
uh, that there's something else going on? It, it would have to be really huge. And it would even include large numbers of people who claim to be religious or spiritual. Sure. Because they don't really, you know, they don't really believe it. You know, it makes them feel good or it helps them socially. I would say probably 90% of the world is unaware of wonder. How? <laughs> oh, man. It, when we when we talk about hermeticism, and uh, I'm going to get into some chapters uh, right after the break. We've got about two minutes. Um the foundations of hermeticism, when, especially when I read what I can today, it seems like it's difficult to access the real stuff. Is the real hermeticism something that is kept from society and there's, no matter what I try to do, I'll never have access to it? That was um, the case for, for, for centuries, right? The, the, for many, many centuries, uh, occult lore was forbidden, and the books were destroyed, and you know, maybe by word of mouth you would find something. Now we live in a society where you have access to anything ever written amazingly quickly. You know, if, you're, if you want spells from the Greek magical papyri, you can do a 10-minute, 10-second Google search, and you'll have the original spell right there. But the Quality of doing magic is a hidden thing because it's hidden from us most of the time anyway, and you have to be in the right place in mind to make use of this huge amount of information now. You know, now it's no longer the point of it's we search, we search for it, it's hard to find. It's out there, but finding the method and spirit is still as hard to find as it ever has been. And was it because uh, the, I don't want to say the powers that be, people say that too often, but, but those that are in control of different cultures and societies around the world were, um, uh, obviously didn't want it to the masses, but would, would also uh, maybe give up some of their mysticism and their mystique? Oh sure, right. You know, if you if you you can can do things that impress people, you don't want everybody in the congregation being able to do the same thing, right? You know, because you know, magic is wonderful at impressing people, and then if you throw in a lot of imperial pomp and circumstance around that, it's extraordinarily amazing. And how how were uh, whether we're talking about wizards or shamans or or magicians? Uh, or or priest, um, what, was there always some kind of show that wasn't magic, but would convince the masses that something special was going on, and the real magic they didn't know anything about? Oh, absolutely, right. I mean the uh, the Tibetan lamas are really good at this because they're they're also really good at stage magic, and so when they 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 would do a show, they would do you know basically the Tibetan equivalent of pulling a you know. Rabbit uh, out of a hat, yeah, maybe a yak out of a yurt, and uh, <laughs> but then they would do the real mysticism, and no one was knowing what that was because that would just look like the guy was concentrating really hard. Yeah, exactly. Let's take our break right here. Our guest tonight, fascinating conversation. Don Webb is with us. Uh, stay right there. Oh, I didn't do it. Just everybody, stay right there. I am not prepared with this, but it's it's now. Coming at you. We'll be right back.
This is Jimmy Church of Fade to Black. Please visit all of our sponsors. We're taking a quick break here. All of the links are below, and we'll be right back. Check out Billy Carson's Forbidden Knowledge, ForbiddenKnowledge.com or ForbiddenKnowledge.tv, where you can get access to over 6,000 videos, movies, TV series, exclusive documentaries like The Black Knight Satellite. You can do it all for just $7.77 per month or $77 per year after the three-day trial, which is also totally free to check out. It's all simple to do. Billy Carson is the best. It's simple. Forbidden knowledge.com or forbidden knowledge.tv that's the number four for bk i will be hosting and emceeing the conscious life expo this february 10th through the 13th at the lax hilton right here in los angeles california 200 speakers, including Linda Moulton Howe, Bashar, Deborah King, George Norrie, Daniel Sheehan, Scott Walter Shonstone, and David Wolf. Over 200 vendors, special events. This is the biggest event of its kind on planet Earth. You've got to come and hang out with all of us. Tickets and info at ConsciousLifeExpo.com. The links are below. On Saturday, April 1st, that's right, April Fool's Day, 2023, I will be hosting the Parapod Festival at the Hyatt Regency right here in Valencia, California. It's a live, one-day podcast awards. It's a film festival. It's a full-on media event. We're going to have Sky watching. There's going to be a Lifetime Achievement Award presented to Linda Moulton Howe. Right now, you can submit your podcast, your film, your TV series, any of your paranormal media for consideration. You can do all of that on the links below. For info and tickets, go to parapodfilmfest.com. That's parapodfilmfest.com. April 7th through the 14th, 2023, I'll be hosting and presenting on the Hidden Secrets Seminar at Sea Cruise. From Los Angeles to the Mexican Riviera on the Navigator of the Seas. That's right, up top, a giant water slide. You've got to check out the Navigator of the Seas. It's amazing. We've got Scott Walter, Adam Apollo, Nick Pope, Brad Olson, Vivian Chauvet, Jason Shirka, Robert Grant, Ruben Langdon, and another 12 amazing speakers and presenters. It's all simple to do. Just visit divinetravels.com forward slash hidden secrets 2023. You know you want to go on a cruise with me. River Moon Coffee, makers of the Fade to Black blend. Truly the best coffee on planet Earth. Just visit rivermoonwellness.com or, or their Amazon store. It's all simple to do. You can check out the Fade to Black blend, the Game Changer blend, or any of their Black Moon Wellness products. It's the only coffee I drink. It is the best, and it's Doc. Again, rivermoonwellness.com. All right. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right. Welcome back. Fade to Black. I am your host, Jimmy Church. Man, I got a short in my headphones. I hate that when it happens. Our guest tonight, Don Webb. And we're talking about his new book. It's called How to Become a Modern Magus. It's right here. 
a fantastic read. And Don, I'm so glad that uh, this is the universe. Let me let me jump in and say this. Um, your suggestion on how to read the book is what I did on accident, right? I skipped ahead and and and, and, and I felt like I was cheating. But that's what was calling out to me. I just, I just couldn't stop. Uh, but uh, I just love the universe and, and how that works. Can we? Um, I want to ask you a couple of questions, and then I want to jump around, and spend a little bit on each chapter, and 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 what the uh, what the names represent in each chapter is actually what I want to do. Um, but can I ask you about magic numbers? Sure. Why is it that we see things all the time? 11-11, whatever it is. For me, it's 14-14 uh, or 11-11. Or um, and these have started to rule my life. <laughs> and are these numbers I need to be paying attention to? Yes, but probably not in the sense you mean. Uh, let me tell you what I, what, what I mean about that. Oh, by the way, you'll you really like my book. It's keyed to the number 14. That is the magic number. It's keyed to You'll notice that each section actually has 14 questions afterward. Anyway. See? I knew it. I knew it. See? 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 Right? Yeah, you're waiting all your life for this one. <laughs> um, and, and, and I will share a, a story about pizza. The, uh, the numbers themselves uh, probably don't have a special power. Now, obviously, some numbers have pretty deep symbolism. It's really hard to think of the number three and not think of a triangle. And it's a first stable shape. And there's all sorts of things that are there. But the main reason that we fascinate on numbers, it's a way that the hidden part of ourselves can say, hey, you need to wake up and pay attention. This is your personal wake-up call. Now, where people get confused is they assume this is everybody's wake-up call. Now, some people will make their magical systems based on a number. Um, Crowley based his magical system on the number 11 um, for a variety of reasons. And so then, you know, throughout his life, 11 and 11-11 were very important moments. But there's also a framing effect. If I told you, you need to pay attention, above all things, to the number 48 this week, well, you're going to hear the number 48. Why? Because you hear it every week somewhere. But you will pay attention to it. Uh, that can be used for mentalist tricks. Now, some years ago, I was having uh, dinner one night with Robert Anton Wilson. And Robert Anton Wilson has always talked a lot in his books about the number 23. And he had just come from, from Dallas. And we were talking. He says, hey, you know, this guy. And I knew the, the person he was talking to. It's the beginning of our talk pizza place. He says, I figured out the number 23. And Robert says, well, what did you figure out? It's, it's just framing. You said pay attention to it, and then you see it everywhere. It's not like really magic or something. And Robert says, yeah, that, that's right. It's just a trick of the mind. And this guy was really excited. And then the bill came for the pizza, and it was $23. And he just stared at me the rest of the night with just this look of hatred. <laughs> Who picked up the tab, though? It, well, I, knowing it was Robert Allen Wilson, it had to be the other guy. Um, <laughs> he, if he brought up the number 23 and the bill comes, I'm passing, I'm sliding it right across yeah, the table. It's yours. It's yours, it's man. Fine. That's yeah. a sign. 
that is a sign. Um, let's let's go through uh, when when I first got the book, and I'm I'm just going to hold this up uh, to the camera. Let me see if I can uh, uh, pull this up really quick. So you get to the table of contents, everybody, and it, with with fade to black, and what we talk about, and our guests on this show is one thing, and then. You get the book, and you get the chapter. Uh, I got my studio lights up here. But you get a list like this, and it grabs your attention. And uh, I felt like the book was written for me and, and, and my audience. Um, and so very intrigued by that. In that, um, uh, well, let's, let's start. Let's go with the chapter one, Janice. All right. Uh Chapter one is about boundaries, about beginnings and ends. And of course, the Roman god for the boundary is Janus. That's why we name this month after him, January. It's a base looking forward to the future, base looking backward to the past. Because once you cross a certain threshold, things are different. And that's the first thing you need to learn in magic is the crossing of a threshold. Did... Um, uh... When we look at, say, the Mayans or even, you know, Central and and, and South America, but you mentioned China uh, earlier, but we certainly have Northern and and Western Europe to consider, too, as well. And and Nepal, you know, we can throw that into the mix. Um, Were these these ideas cross-pollinating? And if they were, how did they get there without... A transoceanic culture, you know, where the Mayans were certainly talking about the same things or, uh, and I, I understand, you know, where I'm going with this, even indigenous cultures here in North America, uh, these, these, these ideas uh, went around the world. Well, and there's, there's two things, right? Of course, cultures talk to each other all the time. And, uh, the world has never been as separate as, you know, sort of modern history teaches us. Um, you know, we, we know that uh, there's always been large oceanic voyages. There have been people walking from place to place. There are people that talk to each other. Um, Egypt, for example, always made a huge amount of money buying things in India and selling them to Europe and, and doing the reverse for, for before the Roman Empire. I mean, there, there's people have always interacted because that's a, it's a thing humans love to do. But there's the other thing is that if we are indeed thinking about what's the deep structure of the universe and you're finding it through your soul and your body, your mind, you're going to find some of the same things as this other guy. It's more like we're comparing notes. Hey, we found out this. What do your shamans say? Well, we got this going on. Well, that passes. I, oh, I don't get that one, though. And that's always been a part of of humanity. Humanity loves to share, to uh, sneak in knowledge from other places. And magicians are always wanting that particularly secret knowledge of what's what's going on over there. If you look at the Greek magical papyri, which were written in Egypt, um, called Greek because they were mainly written in Greek, uh, written by magicians uh, around about the third and second century BC. They have, of course, Egyptian spells, Greek spells, but they have spells that, you know, they got from guys in, you know, Africa. This is an Ethiopian spell, or this is an Indian spell. 
you know, they were extraordinarily cosmopolitan in, you know, probably much more so than like the average American is now. And uh, and I'm referring to also uh, the deep sense of spirituality that, say, shamans and and ayahuasca, you know, it was happening here where there was no contact with Europeans. Uh, but the the thought of a, a, a dark space in the heavens and 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 spirituality, it was it's the same discussion around the world. Uh, when you when you got into magic and when all of that meant when there was no communication between say the Mayans or the, the mountains in Nepal and Egypt. Oh, you, you you're going to keep going back to the same sources, uh, and so then when when there is communication, it's extremely fertile. Um, but I think very much so. You could probably just take any group of humans and give them enough time, they will develop a recognizable magic system and a recognizable mysticism. Let's go to chapter two, Agni. Agni, the uh, Sanskrit god of fire. First element I have people deal with of the four classical elements is fire. Fire is desire. Really wanting something. It's where your magic should start. And as you know, fire has a lot of properties, good and bad. Too much fire is not a good thing. Uh, too little fire, you freeze to death. Fire transforms things. Oh, I can cook my food with it. And uh, the um, oh, oh 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 oh, staying on that for a second. Um, fire is something that is is very strong, and uh, I'm talking about it in a visual sense. And it's always used. It's always there. It's 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 a thing of. Uh, Gandalf, lasers coming out of somebody's hands, and 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 so forth. There's there's that, and then we have the other part, like uh, salt or different things around the how. How physical is 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 this stuff needed? Um, and fire as a boundary, for instance, and and salt as a boundary. Well. It's needed not in the sense that, say, using like a tradition that uses salt for uh, yeah, that, that kind of purpose. It's not because sodium chloride uh, molecule is going to scare away an evil spirit. It's because the mind needs strong symbols to work with. Uh, that's why in our current society, one of the reasons that people are really sad is a lot of our symbols have been removed. So, for example, money is something people don't see anymore. You know, you get your check, it goes in my bank. You know, I don't have like a wad of cash. Certainly don't have a pile of, you know, silver and gold. Um, things are very kind of abstracted that way, and I think that's hard on people. Uh, it's not the element, but it's the fact that the physicality of the element can teach you things directly. You and I could talk about fire all night, and we're both men of obviously, you know, great vocabulary and ways of speech, but that's nothing compared to light a candle, build a campfire. Right. Mm-hmm. Right, 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 right. And then we get, okay, I, I, I wanted to spend some time on this. Uh, love. I mean, that, that's strong. I, it, it's one of the strongest emotions, and if, if not uh, the strongest emotion, but that's chapter three with Freya. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
love Freya, Freya, you know, whose name is interesting because it just means the lady, you know, and actually her, her real name is like, it's a hidden secret among certain people. So we just call her the lady. Love is a very strange thing because it can exist in so many different ways. Uh, the erotic love of a man to a woman, and, and it could be any kind of erotic love, man to a man, I'm not, I'm not making, but erotic love is different than motherly love, and it's different the love you might have for an older relative, or the love you show uh, a beloved teacher. You know, all these things are related in some way, and it's a great way to bring things together. Why, um, I mean, I understand the the desire, right, for love. I, 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 I totally get it. Whether it is, uh, but, you know, it's, it's companionship and, 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 and the bonding that happens with that. But there is a danger with that, too, as well. And you had said that in the, at the very start of the show. Be, be very careful with, with, because you're also changing somebody else that may not be looking in that direction. One of the uh, astonishing things about magic uh, that early magicians, I'll tell you about this mistake, so when you make this mistake, you'll say, oh, yeah, the guy said I'd make this mistake. Uh, magic affects people who have a certain degree of personal power. If they're completely dead inside or they're stupid, or they're drunk, your magic will not affect them. You cannot do a magical spell on a drunk person. On the other hand, the people that respond too deeply to magic don't have any personal defenses. So if you say, I want to get some people to help me out in the company, and you do a summoning spell, don't hire the first group of people that show up. Because these guys are completely open. And, you know, anything will drag their attention. They're just kind of like walking zombies. Right. And uh, I've seen a lot of magicians, usually male magicians make this mistake more than, than female ones. They'll do just a spell for, for a sex companion. And in a week, they got this crazy girl living with them. And then suddenly they're like, I don't want this person living with me. Why did my spell get her? And I said, because you just put out a big sign saying, hey, come over here. And there's no, there's no will inside her. You know, she just kind of wandered up to your property. Can we stay here for a second? Sure. Can we stay here for a second? Um, uh, if there is somebody listening right now uh, uh, that, and I'm going to, let's talk about women first, because we'll swing it back around to the male side of this. But let's say there is a woman listening to this show. Is she going to put a spell out for love, or is it going to be for sex? Right, it's two different two different mentalities. And how does is it? Are they are they looking for somebody that they know, or are they just putting it out there you know what i mean are they trying a friend of theirs somebody that they've had their eyes on is that where you would do this as a woman what where where is the feminine side of of magic well given the 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 the, man, 
vastly over-masculinized society uh, that we live in, women don't have to do that much to get companionship. Exactly. You know, actually, the, 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 I believe the, the magical spell for women is swipe right. Yeah, right, but, right. Um, okay. If you're doing a spell for a better class of lover, just in general, and you want to make a talisman that brings that to you, that's something you should consider and do and think about what do I want? What do I need? You can be as specific as you want. Uh, or if you want to do the opposite thing, I got people I don't want anymore. Don't want to ever see this again. You make an amulet, drives things away. You know, I do not want another abusive asshole in my life. Right. Useful, a useful spell. Uh, I've actually consulted with a woman that wanted to make that. I said, okay, let's figure out what we need to do to do that. Um, women tend to, this is just a, a vast relation, be a little more sophisticated in thinking about coupling than men do, uh, mainly because women can run into many more problems. Uh, historically, of course, it's because of pregnancy. You know, but then it's also that, yeah, that all the, the, the ethical questions rise up, right? I mean, do you want a lot of lovers? That has a lot of a lot of problems. You know, unless again you have a life that's set up for that. Now, if you're a magician, if you're a magician, if you're a musician on the road, a lot of lovers is not a bad thing. Uh, let's not let's not go there. You see what's behind me, right? I, I, I figured you would understand that one <laughs> yeah. in, in a deep way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. don't give them that home address though. Let's uh, and um, uh, that that is such an interesting point. Because, uh, okay, can you um, can you focus the spell on an individual? Because you just brought up a great point. I mean, you may have you may have a, a line at the door, right? Sure, of course. I mean that 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 goes from love magic to seduction, right? You you know who you're trying to get. And then you do that to just as part of the oversight of overwhelming set of actions you're doing, um, you know. And if you're trying to be successful with a person, don't don't assume your your sigil is going to make it happen. I mean, you do all the things you want to do, like learn what they're interested in and give them gifts and and court them. Uh, but then, does it hurt to have a you know a parchment in your pocket with a love sigil on it? No, of course that helps. Magic influences events it does not create events now can you flip it around backwards we're going to get to men in just a second i just i want to stay on romance for a little bit here can you flip it around and make yourself more attractive to others oh sure absolutely you know and you can do that in ways that are um sexual you can do that in ways to like i want to appear more intelligent anything that you can do with cosmetics you can do with magic Right, and the word cosmetics itself actually comes from the word cosmos, meaning uh, the universe. Cosmetics was really considered a magical art, and for some women, it, it still is. Uh, you can pick who you're attractive toward, and also, much more important for women, you can learn to be invisible. Invisibility is highly, highly important magical skill. I, explain. I, I never thought of that. Oh man, uh, can you teach me that one? Okay, why is invisibility so important? Wow, that's that's a good one. That's a good one. Uh, as human beings, we interact with other human beings around us on a variety of levels. 
Uh, that's why sometimes your coworker comes in and you know what kind of day he or she had. You know, and we have all sorts of words like that for telepathy or just sensitivity, clairvoyance, tons of words. Uh, you can decide to not put out any kind of signal at all. I mean, the simplest kind of uh, invisibility, of course, is you make certain choices in, in your dress and speech so you don't stand out. And in like a walk through a crowd, uh, visualizing a brick wall. Don't send out anything. Now, when I was first becoming a magician, before I learned to keep my power to myself, I discovered that crazy people would follow me in the street. And at first I thought, ha I am full of power. Yeah, I'm full of power. Right, right, right. And great. I'm attracting that guy over there. <laughs> Don't know if I like that. No, wait. Let's rethink that. Um, people broadcast all the time. And people need to learn to, number one, be receptive, which will get you much more interesting things. Or at least just to be neutral and say, I'm not going to put anything out right now. I would do anything to be invisible again. I say it, again because, you know, it's a process, you know, and, and, and wow. I'm, I'm going to practice brick wall. I've got a conference in two weeks. Okay. I'm hosting it. Brick wall. <laughs> brick wall in the crowd. Brick wall. Um, before we get to Paca, which is an interesting uh, direction to go to for Chapter 4, um, I just want to post this up here because I love this. Uh, Jessica, we're talking about attraction. She said, I used to use the strawberry champagne scent. Oh, my God. I couldn't get the guys to stop bothering me. I <laughs> uh, absolutely love that. Uh, okay, Paca, which is... Now, are we talking about the Paca, for me, that I understand, is the Hawaiian god of, like, wind and thunder, right? Right, right yeah. So I made him the, the, the god to, to consider when we're dealing with air. Air is has a, a variety of interesting things. Air is a unifier. You know, you and I are speaking to each other through air, uh, albeit also with uh, the Internet being a form of air. Uh Air is the way that magnifies things, right? The whole sort of uh, chaos theory, the flap of the butterfly's wing in Peking makes a storm in Paris. And air is the way you can hear things, you can send messages, you can receive messages. Um, It carries the incense up to the gods or to the ancestors. And then, of course, for very skillful users of air, the Polynesians... They were able to go all over the Pacific with uh, about the same level of, of accuracy as we do now with, you know. Sails. Yeah. Yeah, with the power of the wind. Yeah, that's strong. That's strong. Um, I, now, see, here here we go. I'm, I'm just, I, I'm getting distracted with, with uh, people enjoying this conversation. But... Uh, Wood Elf says, I want to be loved. Will someone please me? When when I have on, I've got a, a, a few friends that are, are witches, good witches, you know, great people, and been involved with the show for almost a decade. And, and we take calls, and we'll do this, we'll do tarot readings and stuff. And I would say 
that um, it's equally split between men and women, by the way. It's not, it's not a feminine thing. It's not a masculine thing. Um, romance. Romance. That is the number one uh, question. Will I find love this year? Will I find love this year? It's, 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 it's at the top of the list, isn't it? It's just right there. Well, no, it's, it's, it's in many ways the, the, uh, the greatest magical feat you can do as a magician is to get the perfect mate. Because everything else can be dependent on that. Or if, if you have the wrong mate, then that makes everything else sour. Um, I was watching. Okay. Now, uh, speaking of Paca, uh, do you remember? I know this is going to sound left field, but it's really not. Do you remember the movie The Burbs? Yeah, vaguely. The comedy, Bruce Dern, uh, you know, and, you know, this family that moved. Anyway, uh, oh, I can't think of his name right now. Biggest actor in the world, uh, one of his starting roles. He's down in the basement of his house. And, you know, they think that the neighbors next door are killing people and burying bodies in the, in the backyard. Uh, it's Corey Feldman. It's, it's, it's uh, Tom Hanks, right? So Tom mm-hmm. Hanks is in the basement. Uh, with his neighbor, and they get out a book of spells, right? And we I, and and that's why I'm bringing up the burbs. So they're opening this up, and this symbolism in the movie is exactly what uh, the public expects: a book of spells, right? Let's flip it open. Let's see what's going on, and you see the the woodcuts and the prints and the different things and the satanic rituals and and they're flipping through in this book of spells. Um, that that perception of society is is a strange one, but that book of spells it doesn't exist, right? You can't find it anywhere that that satanic dark book, or can you? Well, I'm sure by now someone's printed it out and sold it, but there are collections of spells, and there, you know, there have been collections of spells around for millennia, uh, but they're, they don't just work unless you actually have uh, all of the training to make them work. Uh, and, of course, largely those things were written by people that wanted to sell a collection of spells, as opposed to being this is sacred lords, it's like, hey... Fifty bucks. I'll give you your, you know, your spell book here. And it's it's an attractive idea, right? That somewhere someone has written down exactly what I need to solve my life problem, and that's still something that you know people sell on TV all the time. They don't call it a spell book. Uh, the thing is, generally, better spells are going to be the ones you write yourself. And the results will be better connected with things in your universe. The text of another is often an affront to itself. There was, uh, I, I'm going to go back to the burbs for a second, and it's completely connected uh, to what we're talking about here. Um, there was this line, I can't even believe I'm remembering this, but there was a line in the movie where they're looking through the books of spells, and the neighbor says, Lamb's blood. We need lamb's blood, right? Um, and blood is always associated with magic. Is there an do you need blood for magic, or is that is that folklore? Is that mythology? That, that that's folklore. I mean, the appropriate place for blood is in here. Uh, in fact, one thing that's you never need to do you never need to harm an animal 
in the practice of actual magic. Now, first off, I say that because I'm an animal rights guy. But here's a, let's say you don't care about that. Here's the basic truth, the idea that you're going to sacrifice this little bunny to some entity. You're, you don't own the bunny's life to give it away. I mean, that's like going in a restaurant and say, hey, I want that guy over at that table to pay my bill. You don't own the life force of another creature. Uh, blood, however, is very, you know, it's very dramatic. Uh, we, it pounds through us when we are, um, you know, excited or mad or whatever. Uh, as a magical liquid, I don't recommend it's used for much of anything. Um, you can get a lot more work out of uh, your tears, um, your sweat, your urine, and your sexual fluids. Those all have much more useful uh, forces. Uh, the blood thing works good for movies. Yeah, so there's no blood rituals. There are no blood rituals. No, no blood rituals here. Um, next is uh, uh, chapter five is is a name that I wasn't familiar with, which is Saraswati, and I had to go. What? No, I'll I'll just leave it up to you because this was uh, completely new to me, and I had to go and 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 research this. Indian god goddess of the rivers. Uh, she's also the goddess of doing everything correctly. So it's very much a goddess of timing. Uh, Saraswati is a goddess that uh, you seek when you want things to flow. And water has certain properties. Uh, it flows. It changes shape. It can be gentle or harsh. Uh, and it's a great symbol for emotions, right? Because of our tears being like the first thing that comes to mind. The... Um uh, uh, next, uh, we're gonna t we're gonna get into Horus and Isis for a second. Uh, well, we're not. We're gonna discuss it at at length. But Horus, uh, I don't know if I have a favorite Egyptian god, but if I'm if if I'm gonna go somewhere, Horus to me, the story is so complete and is so. You know, it's, it's told probably more in depth than than uh, uh, the other Egyptian gods. Uh, one of my favorites, but why Horus for Chapter 6? Uh, it's, it's a good place to start. Uh, things One, because he's well-known, but then two, uh, because he is, in his name, Harwer, the, the far-off one, has this idea of someone that watches you all the time. And then we have a, a we all have in you know in our pockets probably right now, uh, you have a, a Horus symbol in the form of the Great Seal of the United States. You know the all-seeing eye. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's you start with what people know and relate to most in your training. So, well, you already you know you already know how to get to this one. So we're going to start here. When I went to the Temple of Horus in 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 Egypt, it was one of the most overwhelming wonderful uh but uh strong it's 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 strong it's it's because um his eyes his face the 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 is is everywhere it's at the top of every pillar uh the doorways through the hieroglyphics on the wall it's it is absolutely everywhere and it's it's very strong and very powerful and, I, and to build a temple like this you know on a hundred acres 
right, where it is everywhere. It's strong. It's a very, very powerful symbol to me. I mean, you know, the, the, the creating of the epic temples, uh, you know, these took, you know, a really long time to build. But the temple complex at, at Luxor took a thousand years to build. Mm-hmm. So the people involved in building it, their ancestors, their ancestors, ancestors, their ancestors, ancestors, ancestors worked on it. So it's, you know, it's deeply uh, ingrained into the folk there. Um, Luxor... I, I I I can't wait for you to go, and you you and I can have another conversation. Uh, but when you walk through Luxor, Karnak too, it's, it's got the same impact because of its size, right? It's just ginormously big. But when you walk through Luxor, all you can do is think to yourself, how, 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 just how, because it's it's big. It's not only wide, but it's tall. And it just goes on forever, and you wander through it. It's it's unbelievably uh, uh, what's the word I want to use? Ginormous? Is that a fair word to use? Sure. It, it's crazy. When you say a thousand years, yeah, yeah, you see it and feel it. And the United States is two hundred years old, you know, and it kind of puts it into a little bit of perspective for you. It's it's crazy big, crazy. I did a. I did a panoramic movie that I shot in Luxor at night, and at the back of the complex. Now Luxor is in the middle of the town, ta- uh, the middle of the city, right? So you have the city on on all sides. But the people of Luxor that live there, they hang out, right? This is it's tourist. I, I get that, but this is this is their city, right? Mm-hmm. So um, I'm I'm there. It's full moon. And I go down, and the back half of where uh, there's this open courtyard with these pillars. It's crazy. It's beautiful. But I stand on top of one of these things. Uh, my security helped me up, and I climbed up on top, and I shot this panoramic shot. And um, he had told me, he said, these are the people of Luxor. These aren't tourists that are here. And they were all there gathered underneath the starlight. And that's... You walk away with that. The culture of Egypt, they're, they're still a part of their own history. It, it's crazy, Don. It's wonderful to see. Well, you know, traditional societies held on to the world much more clearly than we do and much more dearly than we do. Uh, there are some advantages to the postmodern world we live in. We can move everywhere. We can do anything. We can plug and play culture. But we don't have that sense of place that mankind's had for millennia. It's 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 fascinating to see, and uh, we're going to get into ISIS next. Uh, but uh, <clears throat> the the one thing that I've, I I came away from Egypt with, I mean, this is paramount on top of everything. They've had five six thousand years to figure out respect. They respect each other at, at every level of society. They're happy. They respect. They respect the world. They respect themselves. And it's something that we we, we definitely don't have here in the United States and is probably missing in other countries as well. But that Egypt has figured out how to, how to smile and how to have respect for others. It's a crazy thing to walk away from learning. 
The Egyptian culture is amazing in that they developed the idea of being Egyptian. And if you move to Egypt, you could become an Egyptian. And then there was no other thought of who you were. So you look at the pictures of the pharaohs. Most of the pharaohs look like most Egyptians now. They have the brown skin. You also had pharaohs that were totally black skin. The, the Ramesses, they all had red hair. I mean, ethnically, pharaohs looked like a lot of different people, but no one questioned for a moment but that they were Egyptians because they were in a culture, not in a racial group. Somebody just, uh, you know what, uh, so what's up with Akhenaten? I, um, okay, I went, uh, we've all seen the images and the stories about Akhenaten. And uh, mono, the, the, you know the the, the the sun god and uh, all of that. Okay, we get that. But when you, uh, I, I visited the new uh, cultural museum of history, not the new grand museum, but uh, the museum. It's, it's called uh, Egyptian uh, history. Civ- the museum of the Egyptian civilizations, brand new. And in the basement there, they have all of the pharaoh's mummies. I think there's 50, yeah. 30, 50, all of the, there's I didn't know this. You know how many Ramses there were? Uh, I believe, I think Ramses the 12th was yeah, the last one. Four, yeah, 14. <laughs> right? <laughs> They're all lined up. Anyway, um, but upstairs, there is like a 14-foot statue of Akhenaten. And now, when you look at the representation of every single pharaoh that has had some kind of iconic, uh, some icon, you know, carved in their image, he's the only one that is 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 whack. I uh, mean, it is completely. And you said you didn't want to go extraterrestrial, right? <laughs> he, that, that might be the exception, but he he is extraordinarily ugly. Do you think it's accurate? Let me ask. I ask you this because I would think that the artists that are carving these pharaohs are in fear of their life. Right? Oh, sure, of course. Right, they're in fear of their life. So the guy that's painting and carving Akhenaten is in fear of his life. So that must be what Akhenaten looked like. Yeah. Right, I'm yeah. not. I'm not wrong in that, right? Yeah, I mean, somewhere there's the guy, and he's got the you know the, the stick stitch nose, sure, and 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 hips and boobs. Yeah. I uh, okay. So how <laughs> did we get off on Akhenaten? I'm not sure. Let's let's swing over to ISIS, chapter seven. ISIS. ISIS is the great mother, uh, and, and also the person, you know, also the, the inventor of the blowjob. So we should always you know, keep that in mind. Um, Isis is every form of female care, period. Uh, she loved her husband. She loved her son. She fought to protect them. Uh, the figure of Isis was the most popular Egyptian deity. Egyptians actually sent out missionaries of the faith of Isis. So there were temples of Isis in Rome, and even there was one in London. Uh, Isis, you know, is always called Ur-Hakat, great of magic. Um, she is the great source of all protection. And, of course, 
when Christianity came, most of her uh, iconography immediately just went to the Virgin Mary, like the, the blue um, outfits and the pictures of her suckling the babe. Uh, the Temple of Isis, which is on the island of Philae, right? Mm-hmm. It's right in the middle of uh, the Nile. And out of... And people want to hear about Luxor. They want to hear about Karnak. And I understand why, right? The Temple of Isis, I had a spiritual thing that went down there. Uh, Dendera, too, as well. But um, uh, the Temple of Isis is one of the most extraordinary places on this planet. And it occupies an entire island. And spiritually, um, it's, it's a powerful place. And I don't know. If it's ley lines, I have no idea. The stars are aligning above. I have no idea if this island was specifically picked for this because of its power that is there. But it's, it's an amazing place to visit. It, it's, it's incredible. Incredible. Well, the temple at, at Philae was, in fact, the last uh, pagan temple of Egypt that they continued having services. Um, the Romans wanted to get rid of Egyptian religion. They didn't, they didn't care for it for various reasons, but mainly because it, they thought it sparked natu- you know, nationalism and they wanted to keep their colony in place. So they took away all the public support for temples. They destroyed the schools where hieroglyphics were openly taught. And that all happened in the first century. And we know in the Temple of Isis, they were still having a priest there until the year 348 A.D. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it is, it's kind of a mix because you see exactly what you're talking about in a lot of the temple complexes there. Some are undamaged, which is also um, a fascinating uh, a point. But most of it... You can go and see where the Romans, and the Greeks too, um, and and uh, the Persians, where they went in and defaced these temples uh, and, and removed faces. And then you could also see where they did it to a certain height. They couldn't get to the stuff that was up higher. So you would see complete uh, beauty up higher because they couldn't go in. Or maybe somebody was defeated and, and got pulled out. The Temple of Isis is like half and half. So you have half of the beauty, like you said, it, it, it was still running for a couple of hundred years um, after Cleopatra. Um, but uh, uh, I had a very spiritual moment that happened in, in one of the temples that I couldn't control. And I, 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 I don't know why or how it happened, but it was because of that island. And I'm, I'm for sure of that. It's a very powerful place. Well, I mean, it was, always was a place of initiation. It's one of the places that you went to be, you know, to be trained to be a priest. Mm-hmm. So everything is there to, to, to move you to that state. I went out, um, uh, since you know the temple complex, off of, uh, it's you know, it's an island. Mm-hmm. Um, and so on the uh, west side, if you're facing south, on the west side of the island, there's this stone granite wall cliff and i had to go over there and sit down because my head i was i was tripping out i i can't explain it so i go and i sit on this cliff <laughs> my feet are dangling i'm looking at the nile river and don as i live and breathe it got worse it went right up my spine up my back out my forehead 
and I just had to hold on to the wall and 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 ride it out. And it was because of the Temple of Isis. It was extraordinary, extraordinary. Yeah, I mean, you had you had obviously powers inside yourself that had been uh, weren't flowing, and the temple's job is to to open those up. And so you got to experience energies that you've had, no doubt your whole life, suddenly presenting themselves to you. Anubis, man, we're almost out of time too. So let's let's get through. Uh, God of the underworld. God of the underworld uh, judges you after you're, you're dead. Anubis is good for transitions between one place to another. Weighing your soul. Yeah, taking the taking the soul out and be sure it weighs the same as a feather, as an ostrich feather. Are, are, were you? Are, I still am uh, to some degree. Should you have a fear of Anubis? Well, you should have a, a fear of anything if you see these as actual powerful entities and you're dealing with them correctly. No, no, I don't mean it like that. No, I mean like getting judged wrong. <laughs> that, this, well, is, this is the moment, right? The scales are in front of you. Sure, I think you should always have um, that consideration that what you're doing in your life is is going to be subject to some final tallying. Uh, and not just be thinking, oh, you know, I think I'm pretty cool, so the gods probably think so too. <laughs> exactly. So yes, you should have a fear. You should be yeah. prepared. You, don't don't be nonchalant about things. Don't yeah. take don't take things for granted. But then that's important for a magician because his or her actions have to have weight, and therefore you, they have to be things that are considered. Here we go, chapter nine, set. Ah, uh, Set, god of the night sky, uh, the oldest of the magical gods, the one who killed Osiris, kills the demon of chaos, Apep, every night about 4.30 in the morning. Uh, his name ultimately meant stabilizer. And that's confusing because he's the god of chaos. Wait, wait, wait. I thought he was the most feared. Oh, he is feared. Yeah. In fact, uh, throughout all of Egyptian history, he was the completely worst god, except for Dynasty Two, where the pharaoh called himself the Living Set, all the others were Living Horus, and Dynasties 19 and 20, who were totally devoted to Set. And there are the dynasties that went out and conquered all the Middle East. Set is open to all forms of foreign influence. And for a somewhat closed society like Egypt, Set is a deeply scary deity. Completely, Set yeah. freaks me out. I mean, I mean, feared. And and it's, and and when when you read uh, you know different books and, and history and so forth, um, and then watch a movie uh, that that is dealing with this, Set is the one you do, you just don't want to mess with. Yeah. Well, he killed one of the major gods. That's usually a sign he's not someone you want to, to, <laughs> right. to piss off. And so, when we hear now, let's let's just go there. So, with the with the temple of Set, um, what does that represent? Because the way that Set has been portrayed throughout history, and then you have the temple of Set, that's going to have a negative uh, aspect to it. Well, yeah. First off, it's going to scare a lot of people away, which is excellent. Uh, for initiatory work. But more importantly, Seth is a complex figure. Uh, he literally saves the universe every night uh, when the 
sun, bo- sun god's barge is threatened by huge monsters that come, climbs down the barge and kills the monster. But he also kills Osiris, the god of stasis. Now, most people in their lives want stasis. They want things to always be the same. And sets the god says, nope, we're going to get rid of stasis. So it's a very challenging god saying, well, I'm willing to live in the more de- you know, more dangerous universe. Uh, in the night sky, he's represented by the seven stars we call the Big Dipper. Uh, in, in the very short time that we have left, uh, uh, Verdandi, chapter 10. All right, Verdandi. Verdandi is a Norn, one of the Germanic goddesses of time. Verdandi is in charge of the present. Everything that's happening now. Your chapter 11. Erd. Erd is a great goddess of the past. You probably know her by her English name, which would be Weird. Uh, she has all the past patterns in the universe. Everything that happens eventually belongs to Erd. And chapter 12, Skuld. Skuld is the goddess of what should be. Now, in Germanic time, was not set up with past, present, future. It was past, present, and what should be, because the future is always in motion, and that's where the magician has his or her most important stake. They can affect unfolding of events. So the ultimate place we've gone to, starting back when we crossed the threshold with Janus, is schooled. And so in in completing the book, now we've talked about this twice tonight, but this is where we have to talk about it uh, a third time. I did this with intention because of how I accepted the book and started to read through it. It was also your suggestion to to read it and then to go back to understand what you were in for, to mm-hmm. know uh, uh, what uh, each chapter involves and 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 so forth. Um, at, at the completion of, of the book, where do you think people will find themselves? Uh, I think they will have a year's worth of experiences that have been very carefully curated for them. They will have had a series of questions for each month of activity. So they thought about what this means, why did they do this, how do these things work, and they will be a place that is uniquely their own. And then I have other suggestions throughout the book of other things you can do. No one will have the same path. No one starts out at the same place, but they will have all had the same training. And I think they'll be a much more efficient, competent magician than they ever have been. Uh, yeah, there are a couple of spots in the book where you take a break, everybody, mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and what to do during that break. Um, and I found that uh, very helpful, by the way. And I, again, I cheated, but it's a it's a great way to do it, so you know what to expect as you're going through the book. And then we have additional resources. Um, and I kind of want to talk about the Book of Gates a little bit, but I want to I want to get to sex magic and uh, dream work. Okay, let's can we jump ahead to sure. to say is that like the dessert? You know, you complete the book, and then you can get to the sex magic? The sex magic, I, the reason I separate that out is not everyone reading the book will have a partner they can do sex magic with. Mm-hmm. And so the sex magic section is, here's how you, can, if you 
had some access to a willing partner, here's a way you can make some of these rights more powerful or deeper. Uh, I believe, and magicians disagree with this, but I believe you should only do sex magic with a partner that also knows you're doing sex magic. I don't believe you just take someone and it's like, oh, I'm using your power here. It doesn't work well. Uh, because their power is generated for their own agenda. Uh, dream work, I tell people how to deal with the dreams. Dreams are not consistent. So early on, you can learn how to do dreams, and you'll have dreams throughout the year, but you can't really do the thing of saying, ah, I'm going to have this dream on the 6th of July because it's really, really convenient for me. So I talk to people how to deal with the question of dreams that will happen throughout the year and, of course, throughout the rest of their lives. You, uh, I don't want to get into specifics here, and I, you write about it uh, in, in a complete form in the book, but uh, uh, I want everybody to go and read it. But you write about a dream that you had that uh, was at the beginning of uh, your journey, and it was very profound. Uh, you and I talked about it earlier today, and but I don't think that for me that's not what's most important about that dream. What was most important is you were given the 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 images, the you know that was there, um, and that's how you interpret a dream, right? It's not necessarily a very specific thing because. In your dream, go and read the book, everybody. If you would have taken it literally, the dream was not right. Right. right? It, it was not correct. Um, after the fact, you look back, and it, it made complete sense to me, too, as well, where you went, oh, it was right there in front of me, right? Mm-hmm. So how do you do well, that? Yeah. Well, so when you get into dream work, is that what you have to do? It's not necessarily a literal interpretation. Yeah, and interpreting dreams is is kind of a kind of missing the point. People will have a dream and they'll say, "Oh, I, I just did that because of what I saw in the street yesterday." Well, you don't say, "Hey, because I had this dream, I, I saw this on the street yesterday." The reason one should become aware of one's dreams is you spend a third of your life in sleep states. A third of it. Um, and you should learn to become aware of your dreams and remember them. And you will slowly learn to talk with your dreams, exchanging information, not in symbols that belong to anyone other than you. Don't don't get that book that says, "Ooh, I dreamed of a mouse." It says in Aunt Sally's dream book, you know. But you will discover uh, things also from your past, or occasionally from your future as well in your dreams. The future being the hardest to understand. Yeah, I I I, I don't think anybody can interpret my dreams or yours. It's up to us. It's yeah, up, it's up to us. us. It's up to us. Uh, one last uh, point. Uh, one last question. I'm sorry. Uh, this month, for the first time in 50,000 years, we've got a green comet uh, appearing in the night sky. It is next to our sun right now. And uh, for the rest of January, uh, we're going to be able to see this uh, with our naked eye. Is this... Is this important to us? And certainly with uh, uh, cultures in the past, this was a really big deal. But we've got a green comet appearing in the sky. Well, anything that makes human beings stop what they're doing and put their work aside and look up is a good thing. 
uh, comets are usually said to be symbols of dire uh, fortune, that some bad thing will happen. The Egyptians saw comets as being the form, the body, if you would, of the goddess Sekhmet, the goddess of power itself. So I would say to everyone to not that the power is in the comet, the power is taking loving yourself enough to get the hell out of the city and away from light pollution, look up and see this thing, because you're not going to see another one for 50,000 years. And if your life is enough control to do that, and you can let that wash over your soul with the wonder that it is, you have done the work you need to do. Thank you so much, Don. What a great conversation tonight. Oh, I didn't want to say this earlier, but you just did. If I had to rate, I'm going segment. I'm going segment. I'm going segment. Top of my tippity top, kind of hot too. I'm, I I might add. Well, she is an Egyptian goddess of sex magic, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just uh, top of my list. Where can everybody get the book? Uh, Amazon, of course. Uh, Barnes and Noble. Um, most occult shops in America seem to have a copy right now, or in Australia or Canada or Britain. My friends are telling me it's an amazing read, and uh, and thank you for writing it. And I know I said this uh, at the top of the show. Stuff like this doesn't get published, um, uh, not in its complete form like this. It's uh, it's the real deal, and, and I'm really enjoying it. Thank you so much. And uh, one last thing, where can everybody reach out to you if they have questions? Oh, well, I can easily find me on Facebook, because I'm a Facebook whore. But, uh, and I will respond, you know, from there, you know, instant message me, and I'll respond to you. There you go. Don Webb. Thank you, my friend. Behave and be well, and we're going to get you back for the energy magic of the vampire. Be safe out there, my friend. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Don Webb. And listen, uh, his links are below, and we have everything out in social media and certainly over at jimmychurchradio.com. Thank you so much, Don. Great show tonight. And uh, before I get out of here, I want to remind everybody, tomorrow night we've got Ryan Graves on the show. Ryan is going to be here. We're going to be talking about Navy pilots and UAPs. All that and much more tomorrow night with Ryan. Fade to Black is produced by Hilton J. Palm, Renee, Dennis, and Kevin. Webmaster is Drew the Geek. Music, Doug Aldridge. Intro, Space Boy. Spaceboymusic.com. Fade to Black is produced by KJCR for the Game Changer Network. And this broadcast is owned and copyrighted 2023 by Fade to Black and the Game Changer Network, Inc. It cannot be downloaded, copied, or used anywhere in the known universe without written permission from Fade to Black and the Game Changer Network. I'm your host, Jimmy Church. Until tomorrow night with Ryan Graves, I want everybody to be safe. Go back, Lee Tappy. Wow, 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 wow.